Good evening tonight, and it is good to be here and see everyone, and thank you for your prayers. If you would stand and take the word and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, I would like to read the first 14 verses. <clears throat> the, this is the word of God. 2 Kings chapter 5. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Israel said, Go to, go, I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel." So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Barpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then, when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You may be seated. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Lord, this whole service. Lord, the singing, the praying. Lord, the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. Lord, grant the tongue of the learned. 
Hide me, Lord, behind thy cross and in thyself, and let me not be proud, and may, be, may I be humble, Lord, before you, humble before your congregation. Lord, help us. May your spirit do his work tonight. Lord, thou art, thou art able, thou art God. Your arm is not so short that it cannot save. Lord, the voice of man can reach that physical ear, but your voice, Lord, can penetrate and tremble the whole heart. Lord, do that tonight. Speak your word to all of us. May we all hear your word, whether it be as a thunder or as a whisper. Lord, may we hear your voice tonight, respond to you, and love you, and give you all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I've titled... The lesson tonight, The Road to Recovery. The Road to Recovery. And this is taken from verse 3, where we have the words of this little maid. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. The road to recovery. God the Father has removed all obstacles in the way of salvation by providing His only begotten Son as an atonement and propitiation for our sins. From the viewpoint of heaven, all has been done for the salvation of His people by the substitutionary death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing unto them, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Everything has been done. By the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. God has provided himself a lamb. There is no longer anything in the way for man to be reconciled to God. God is the just and the justifier, and he has no trouble saving men. All hindrances, all hindrances have been removed in Christ. However, the working out of this salvation is often a real battle for men. God saves in an instant, but the whole process of his dealing with men by his word and by his spirit in convicting of sin in leading men to the point of repentance toward God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ is often a great struggle with men. There are testimonies of men and women who hear the gospel and their hearts are opened. There doesn't seem to be too much struggle, and they receive the grace that is in Christ. But there are also those testimonies of many who battle for years, kicking against the pricks. And they are as Ezekiel was, when the word says of him, when he says, So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. 
we know that he was saved at this point. This was, at least I believe, but he wasn't too happy at this point of what the Lord was doing. He felt it in his spirit. He was in the heat of his spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon him. You read through the Pilgrim's Progress, and you will see that God has no trouble saving this man Christian. And yet Christian was still beset with temptations, haltings, turnings, hindrances. Do you remember the verses, the verse of that, the hymn Amazing Grace, where it says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. When we get to heaven, none of us will be hanging on to what we have done. We won't be holding on to any trophies. All will be cast at Jesus' feet, and we will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are there by one cause, and that is the cause of the grace that is in Jesus. So in truth, God has removed all hindrances and obstacles concerning our salvation, and yet men still struggle and battle with those things that would hinder, turn, and distract them from this saving grace. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, what prevents you from being saved? What is holding you back? What prevents you from being saved today? What are the hindrances to this so great a salvation? There is a road to recovery. This wasn't an easy road for Naaman. There were those things that would have hindered him and turned him away from recovery had it not been for the persevering grace that was in Christ. I think that this really shows the spiritual battle in our salvation. Unless a stronger man binds a strong man, we have no hope in this. We must work in, God must work in, be, in our behalf to overcome every hindrance and obstacle that would stand in the way of our being saved. Interesting, a couple scriptures here, Matthew eleven twelve, and from the days of John the Baptist, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Luke 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. That's the language of battle. Amen. No one enters the kingdom by lethargy or osmosis. There is nothing magical about salvation in Jesus. There is no formula to follow. There is no 12-step program that guarantees saving results. There is nothing that we can do to cause us to be saved or to bring about our salvation. And yet, there are those responsibilities that we have that if we neglect them, we would not be saved. In other words, no man merits salvation by repentance. But at the same time, without repentance, men are not saved. Amen. 
there are hindrances to conversion and salvation. Uh, this is real. This is real. Noman, Naaman's road to recover, recovery, I need to slow down. And I need the Lord's help. And, and not to be so anxious. It's all his word anyway. <laughs> Naaman's road to recovery was marked by continual obstacles and hindrances that, if possible, would have turned him immediately back to Syria without recovery. What prevents you from being saved? We began the last time to look at this account of Naaman, a Syrian who was a leper. We saw that in the very first verse of chapter 5 that Naaman was a great man with his master. Naaman was a great man. He was honorable. He was a mighty man of valor. We read all this in the first verse. He was all of this, but he was a leper. But he was a leper. I believe that that that's the first hindrance we all face is this condition into which we are born. We are all born into sin. David cries in Psalm 51 as he seeks God for mercy and pardon for the great sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You hold a newborn baby, even a three-month-old baby, and it sometimes feels like you're holding a big bundle of innocence, sometimes. But that child already has a depraved nature, and if we do not restrain them, they will grow up and go their own way right into sin. You do not have to teach a child to sin. It all comes too naturally. There is an innocence about a baby or a child. There is an innocence in this. They have not accumulated years of the practice and hardening of sin, but the depravity is still there. They are born in sin and estranged from God. This is already a great hindrance in salvation. The Jews were beside themselves that they would not have this man to reign over them. That is where depravity will lead all of us. We will not have this man to reign over us. Here's our condition. Here is the condition into which we are all born. But he was a leper. Leprosy is a terrible and loathsome disease. It is known today as Hansen's disease. And there are people today that still get this disease. But when it is properly treated, it can usually be cured. The bacterium that produces leprosy reproduces itself very slowly. So someone could actually carry this disease for years and never even know it. According to some reports, most people are immune to this, this, this disease. But in countries where this disease is not treated, it can still cause much fear and serious health, health issues. Leprosy, 
does not usually kill its victims. It torments them. It is a life of torment. Leprosy disfigures the body. It deforms the normal, natural features of the body. Limbs become twisted. Fingers are curled into a commonly known claw-shaped hand. The ears are often thickened and the nose collapsed. Leprosy attacks the body with lesions and tumor-like growths that can completely deform the person's body into unrecognizable shapes. It attacks the eyes and can cause blindness. Because it has such a great effect upon a person's skin, it was generally thought by many to be a skin disease. But studies have shown that although it has a great impact upon that organ of our body called the skin, its greatest effect is on the nervous system. Leprosy is a disease of the nervous system. It is in its most advanced stages of this disease, the patient may lose all sense of pain. That's dangerous. I had a friend one time who worked in a nursing home. And she told me that as long as residents were feeling some pain, the staff wasn't too alarmed. But when they lost all sense of pain, they grew wearied, worried quickly and alarmed. We don't like pain. We don't like pain in our conscience. But pain is a gift of God. Pain is often a protection. It is said that some leprosy patients have picked up hot pans of scalding water and not flinched. And there, were, there was another story I had in here, but I left it out because I didn't want nightmares <laughs> from some of the little ones. The greatest threat to these patients does not come directly from leprosy itself, but from their inability to feel or to sense pain and avoid it. These pa patients become a great threat to their own selves. So many diseases and infirmities may but affect one part of the body. But leprosy, although it may start small, in one area of the body, perhaps a spot or a patch or a scab, it slowly permeates the whole body, leaving nothing in its wake of clean, fresh, or pure skin. It defiles the whole body. But he was a leper. I can't seem to get away from this thought. I had planned on picking up where I left off last time and moving right on forward, but I kept falling back to these words. But he was a leper. These words, as it were, sets the stage for this whole passage. I love the phrase in verse 10 where Elisha's messenger comes out and tells Naaman, Go and wash. That is wonderful. Go and wash. That is where I wanted to get to. This is such a great command. As terrible as it was for Naaman to have this disease, if it was because that he had leprosy that there was this commandment given to go and wash. If Naaman were not a leper, there would have been no such command. 
This command would have been useless, unnecessary, meaningless, and vain. If Naaman were well and healthy and had no leprosy, no reason for go and wash. Christ came to call the came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Naaman's condition, therefore, is the occasion of this wonderful miracle of grace in his recovery. In this mirror of God's word, we see our need. Without Christ, we are but lepers. We're lepers. There's a sense that we fight that even as saved people. We have the sin, we have the leprosy of sin. And we are in need of cleansing, recovery, and reconciliation to the Lord Jesus Christ. This account lays out before us a great need and a great remedy. We are brought not into the stands of observation only to watch and see what happens to Naaman, but we're down there with him, having participated with him in this leprosy. Not his physical leprosy, but his spiritual leprosy called sin. We are down there with this man, Naaman, taking part with him in his doubt, his fears, his unbelief, his anger. And we pray also in his faith, his obedience, and his recovery. Go and wash. Go and wash means nothing if we do not understand the magnitude of the truth. But he was a leper. The sinfulness of sin gives context to the deliverance of those who are saved by grace. What makes go and wash so wonderful a grace and a mercy for the Christian is that we were so completely defiled and corrupted by our sin. What prevents you tonight from being saved? So you have this leprosy, then you're a candidate. The command and privilege to go and wash is for you. We all have to deal with this. We all have to deal with this truth, but he was a leper. There is no escaping it. Do we ever find that this leprosy of sin just gets in the way? We want to do something that we know we should do, and this leprosy gets in the way and hinders us. A man wants to be a good husband and a good father. A woman wants to be a good wife and mother. But immediately we meet with, but he was a leper. The Apostle Paul dealt specifically with this in Romans 7. He speaks of his struggle with sin as a believer. Friends, if you're struggling with sin as a believer, you're, you're in a good fight. There was a time when you weren't struggling or warring with this. Why are you struggling now? The things that you are battling now weren't even an issue before you were saved. You didn't even care. There was no struggle going on then. Praise God for the warfare that we are battling, even tonight. Paul tells us in Romans 7 that there is something that we need to know concerning this. He says in Romans seven eighteen, For I know that in me, in, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which, I, which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, 
that I do. There's the battle. And Paul isn't an unsaved man fighting this. This is the battle of every believer. I'm preaching to the choir here. Paul goes on in verse 21 saying, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. We didn't do that before we were saved. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. This is a testimony of a Christian. Paul says that now he delights in the law of God after the inward man, but there is an opposing law, warring. It's battling with his mind, for his mind, bringing him into captivity to the law of sin, which is in his members. This is a, this is a battle that you enlist in when you are saved. You are going to fight the law of sin, which is where? In your members. And this fight is so intense that Paul cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, the chapter stops there, but the thought continues. Paul goes on by the Spirit, and I want to read this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No one does that perfectly, but are we doing that? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me, hath made me free, past tense, from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This is what he did for us. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. This account of Naaman is for all of us. It is for the converted as well as the unconverted. It is for the saved as well as the lost. It is for the believer and the unbeliever. It is for saint and sinner. The situation between the two may be entirely different in that one is saved and has a savior. And their relationship to sin has now changed because of Christ. But sin in the saved isn't any prettier than in the unsaved. Our sin isn't any less vile are sinful now because we are saved. Praise God, we can learn to cut it off earlier and grow in grace and in, in knowledge in Christ and to walk with him in a holy walk. I think Paul had been saved many years when he said that he was the chiefest of sinners. The leprosy of sin is still defiling, but the difference now is we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. But he was a leper. We're so much like Naaman. Our problem isn't that we think poorly of ourselves. No, our problem is that we think well of ourselves. 
These are hindrances to our salvation. I suppose one could have a legitimate problem with self-esteem, and in such a case we should deal biblically with that. But our real problem isn't usually with a low view of self. No, we tend to have a high view of self. Even those who claim to hate themselves are often wallowing in a mire of self-love. They do not really hate themselves. They may hate the consequences of where they're at because of what they do, but they love themselves. When we consider this man Naaman, we see a man much the same as ourselves. Generations may have passed, but the human heart isn't that much different. Naaman was a man that took sin lightly. Sin wasn't much of an issue with him. We read that it was by him that the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. God had blessed the efforts and the leadership of Naaman, even to the destruction of his own people, Israel. Did Naaman praise and thank God for these blessings of deliverance? Did he tell the king or the people, don't look at me, I didn't do this, this is most certainly of God? Or did Naaman soak in the praise and the glory, the favor and the honor, all for himself? He was, after all, the go-to man. He was Syria's MVP, wasn't he? Where in the scripture does he give glory to God for all these mighty conquests of other nations. What did this leprosy mean to Naaman? What What did his leprosy mean to him? How did he view this problem and condition? Thankfully, it was enough of an issue that he responded to the words of this little maid who said, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. God is a God of sovereign timing. He orchestrates all things after the counsel of his own will. And I believe that the timing of all these events here in this chapter give praise and glory to his name. You know, we may mourn grievously over lost years that have not been spent serving Christ. But God is not only sovereign over our salvation, he was sovereign over the day of our salvation. Even after this, we can still say according to the scriptures, today is the day of salvation. No one is ever saved yesterday. And no one will ever be saved tomorrow. Men and women, boys and girls are saved today. It's always today. The only day anyone is ever saved is today. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. When I consider this first verse of chapter 5, I get the idea that Naaman has a certain view of himself. Because he was a captain, because he was honorable, mighty man of valor. But unfortunately, he also just happened to be a leper. Perhaps to him, this all seemed coincidental. 
I don't think that Naaman viewed his leprosy as an identifying mark of who he was. Follow me for a minute, although that I'm, I'm not much to follow, but except maybe my weird thinking. But it would seem that in Naaman's view, he was actually all those other things that were listed, honorable, valiant, captain, that's who he was. And this leprosy was an unfortunate inconvenience that lay upon him. Let me say it like this. Naaman had a good house. He had a really good house. He had a wonderful house. But it had one room that had leprosy. One bedroom. This one room was unfortunate. And it was often inconvenient. And it was certainly an eyesore. But it didn't define the whole house. And it did not depreciate the value and worth of the house. The house was basically good. It just had this one bad room. That is often how we see ourselves and our sin. This was certainly how we viewed our sin before the Lord Jesus saved us. Sin was unfortunate. It was inconvenient. It was often an annoyance. But it didn't define who we were. This is really the argument of a person who says, I know I have sin, but I'm not that bad. Or I'm certainly not as bad as they are. I may have several rooms that are leprous, but the whole house isn't bad. This is really interesting because in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, a house might have spots or streaks in some of the walls. And if it is deemed to be leprous, the whole house could be condemned. And I want to read a section of that. It's in Leviticus 14, 37. But let me read this. Leviticus 14, 37. And he shall look on the plague, speaking of the priest here, and he shall look on the, on the plague. And behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow streaks, greenish or reddish, which in sight are lower than the wall, then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days. And the priest shall come again the seventh day and look and shall look. And behold, if the plague be spread in the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which the plague is, and they shall cast them into an unclean place without the city. And he shall cause the house to be scraped within round about, and they shall pour out the dust that they scrape off without the city into an unclean place. And they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take other mortar and shall plaster the house. And if the plague come again and break out into the house, in the house, 
After that, he taketh away the stones, and after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered. Then the priest shall come and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house. It is unclean. And he shall break down the house, the stones thereof, and the timber thereof, and all the mortar of the house, and he shall carry them forth out of the city into an unclean place. This is what they did. They found some bad streaks in the walls, so they removed some stones. Then they scraped around the whole area, and all those materials were taken outside the camp to an unclean place. Then they, re, then they would replace it with new stones, and they would add mortar, and then finish it with plaster. And now we have a reconditioned house, and all is well, right? Well, the house had to still be examined by the priest again. And we see in verse 44, Then the priest shall come and look, and behold, if the plague be spread in the house, it is a fretting leprosy in the house, it is unclean. This house was to be condemned. It was to be destroyed. After everything was done by way of reformation, as could be done to restore this house, and it still revealed this plague, it was then considered a fretting leprosy. It wasn't just leprosy now, it seems. It was a fretting leprosy. We said earlier that leprosy does not reduce, reproduce itself very quickly. It's a slow-moving, tormenting disease. I don't think that this fretting refers to how quickly it spreads. spreads. I think it's how deep it goes. This fretting leprosy worked its way so deeply into the structure of this house that it had to be destroyed. Notice again the, the words in verse 37. And he the priest shall look on the plague, and behold, if the plague be in the walls of the house with hollow streaks, greenish or reddish, which in sight are lower than the wall. There was something about these streaks that made the appearance of them to be lower than the surface. This was something internal. It was working below the surface. The word for fretting here means a bitter leprosy, or it can mean to embitter. And I really find it interesting that leprosy is by this word associated with bitterness. Friends, we have to be so careful. Brethren, we have to be so careful and guard our hearts. And gird up the loins of our mind, because we have an enemy that seeks to provoke us to a fretting leprosy. How terrible it is when a, a fretting leprosy breaks out into any congregation of one of the churches of Christ. I suppose that the greatest fear of a pastor during such a time is how deep does the fret go? But he was a leper. But he was a leper. How bad was Naaman's leprosy? How bad was it? Well, we don't know exactly what stage he was in or how critical his condition was physically at this point. 
But the issue is this. Naaman was a leper. No matter what stage he was in, the primary issue is that he had the disease of leprosy. Even today in some countries, there is such a stigma and shame attached to leprosy that men and women will hide it rather than it be exposed and thereby be treated. It could be treated, but they don't want it seen. In Leviticus 13, we have the laws concerning the leper himself. And I want to read a short portion of this as well. Leviticus 13, and the, and the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man shall have in the skin of his flesh a rising, a scab, or a bright spot, and it be in the skin of his flesh like the plague of leprosy, then he shall be brought unto Aaron the priest, or unto one of the sons of the priest, one of his sons, the priest, and the priest shall look priest shall look on the plague in the skin of his flesh and when the hair of the plague is turned white and the plague in sight be deeper than the skin of his flesh it is a plague of leprosy and the priest shall look upon him and pronounce him unclean now here was a man who had a bright spot or a scab on his flesh and he didn't know what it was but he was concerned about it, so he goes to the priest, as the law instructs them to do, and the priest examines the spot, and if he finds that certain conditions are present, then it is clear that this man has leprosy, and the priest pronounces him unclean. At this point, everything in this man's life has now changed. Nothing is the same. It was just a spot of leprosy, but that didn't change the verdict. He is still pronounced unclean. Brethren, before we are saved, we had to be pronounced unclean. Before a sinner can be pronounced clean through the blood of Jesus, he must first be pronounced unclean. This poor man went to the priest with only one spot on his flesh, and he was pronounced unclean, but he was a leper. Is it any wonder that the Bible associates leprosy with sin? The things that could be said of leprosy could also be said of sin. Everything about sin is polluting, defiling, deforming, corrupting. Sin isn't just a moral wrong or a wrong choice or a mistake in judgment. By sin, by nature, sin is defiling. It defiles the mind. It defiles the heart as well as the body of man. It is like leaven. It spreads through and permeates the whole man, corrupting him thoroughly. Sin brings with it guilt and a profuse, stinking nature. The leprosy of sin has the odor of death all around it. And certainly one of the greatest concerns with leprosy is that it eventually leaves its victims without feeling or the sense of pain. Sin is both defiling and deceptive. Brethren, we live in a sin-cursed world. I don't believe that we can overestimate the sinfulness of sin, and too often we're tempted to underestimate it. 
We see broken homes and broken lives of those all around us. We live in a world, as it were, a leper colony. There are men and women in this world who have lost practically everything because of their sinful and leprous condition. Some have lost jobs, their homes, their families because of the destructive, defiling nature of their sin. And many of them are now with a counselor or a rehab program or a certain clinic. I'm not trying to defame them, but they're trying to deal with this problem. But he was a leper. Homes are broken because of the dev- devastation effect, devastating effects of sin. Adoption is a wonderful thing, and we praise God for it. But does it not manifest a broken home that has been cursed by sin, oftentimes? I've seen pictures of families close together, loving one another, coming together and posing as a family unit with many smiling faces. Now to see that picture cut and there is no longer a father in it or no longer a mother. Broken, broken families, broken lives. And this isn't just outside the church. It is often in the church. Sin has affected every area of our lives. How many thousands of dollars are spent every year trying to deal with the issue of but he was a leper? We live in a world plagued by spiritual leprosy. We live in a world with this indictment on it, but he was a leper. That's the world that we live in, and it touches all of us. Paul says in Romans 8 that the whole creation groans under the weight of this. Romans 8 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now, until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of the body. Brethren, there's a lot of groaning going on today. And I don't mean that there are many in this world who are groaning in godly sorrow over their sin. Would to God that were. But I, I, what the scripture says here, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Creation has been marred by sin. And because of this, it is groaning and travailing in pain under sin's curse. In a sense, don't throw me out the door, but in a sense, I believe that God's creation is longing for regeneration. There is a burden on creation. I sometimes wonder if the natural disasters that we see are part of the groans of creation. And we groan. Do we not groan? Even us, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose physically, he rose bodily, 
he rose personally out of that grave. And his salvation includes the promise of redemption for these bodies that still groan under the weight and burden of sin. Precious are the promises in, in our times of groaning. I love the promise in Philippians 3. Later on in the chapter that Nate's preaching in, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? We'll be, we'll be driving home from church. And, and Esther will say, do you hear it? And I'll say, what? Our pajamas are calling. We often feel the weight and the magnetic pull of the sin nature that attaches itself to us like a dead corpse and threatens to sink us into a pit of perdition, but he is able to subdue that unto himself. He is able to subdue all things unto himself. I say glory. One day we are going to drop these sinful bodies, and we are going to be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. And on that day, the church will be saved to sin no more. There is a day coming that this mortal is going to put on immortality and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. It's a real day, and we're one day closer. I put that in there for pastor, I guess, because he says that a lot. But it's true. It's a good reminder every time he says it. We're one day closer. Oh, I wonder tonight, are there any groaning under the weight of leprosy that clings to them? I wonder if there are any tonight who would say, it's not just a wall that's bad. It's not just a room that's leprous. The whole house is bad. The whole head is sick. From the crown of the head to the sole of the feet, there is no soundness in me because of my sin. Christ is altogether righteousness, and I am all unrighteousness. What is the answer for creation? What is the answer for the creature? What is the answer for the house that has this fretting leprosy? Regeneration. Regeneration. In this application of the way we're saying this here, we don't need reconstruction. We don't need rededication. We need regeneration. The wind blows where it listeth. We have a promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You remember what John told, what Jesus told John's disciples. I mentioned it last time. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again. That word hit me again. Sometimes 
with us, isn't it, again and again? Go show Randy again. Go show John again those things which ye do see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. This had to be good news to John, who was to die a martyr's death. What do the blind need? Well, we, we know that the blind need to see. That is, that's what they need. They need their sight. And the deaf need to hear. And the dumb need to be made to speak. And the lame need the ability to walk. But lepers, what do they need? Lepers need to be cleansed. The only hope for the leper was that he would be cleansed of this dreadful disease. When a man was stricken with leprosy, he didn't go to a doctor like we might today. No, he went to the priest. And as we have read, the priest would inspect the leprosy and determine its nature and spread and would pronounce the person clean or unclean. The whole life of the leper, in a sense, rested in the pronouncement of the priest. In all his works, Jesus did not forget the lepers. The cleansing of a leper is the work of Christ. Go to him. Go to Christ. Go and wash and be ye clean. We didn't make it that far in the chapter, but you don't have to wait till then. Maybe not ever. But nothing should prevent you from going to the high priest tonight who can be touched with the feelings of your infirmities. Take the promises of his word and go to Christ. Wash and be clean. For those who are saved, I think we could look at David's prayer in Psalm 51. David used the very pictures and elements of the work of the priest in the cleansing of the leper in his prayer. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence presence and take not thy holy spirit from me restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit every one of those is him asking the lord to do something for him that he cannot do for himself amen if you would stand Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Dismissed.